listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of Grace Life Church in Middleburg, Florida. You can find more information about our church at thegracelifechurch.org and be sure to subscribe to our podcast for weekly biblical content. All right, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This past week, I ran into Winn-Dixie to grab some items. Not many. It was like seven items. It was going to be two orders, all right, which is already you're going to be that person. So I know I'm like, I got to pay for this order and I got to pay for the next one. I get up to the register, put my items on the, the belt. I put the little yellow stick divider behind the first set of items and then the one item behind it. And I tell the cashier, I said, I've got two items today, just a heads up. So she goes through the first few items, rings them up, and then I pay for it. She hands me the receipt, and she says, have a good day. So I was like, there's no one else behind me in line. There's one more item. And she looks at me and realizes, you're still here. We've got one more item to go here. Have you been in this situation before? So I, I chuckled, and then she said it again. And I just find it, it, it was funny to me because you could tell when you're doing something all the time, you're handing a receipt the transaction is over, so you're saying all the time, have a great day. And she, out of instinct, out of just doing this hundreds of times throughout the day, handed me the receipt and said, have a good day. And we chuckled about it. It was a little awkward because she's like, you're still here, you know? And I left the register. Not, it's not a big deal. I didn't file a complaint or anything or go ballistic, all right? We, we laughed. It was an innocent mistake that we all do. But I left and started walking to the car, and I started thinking, she, she does this just out of, it's a emotion that she's constantly doing, right? And I thought, how much of our prayer life is just going through the motions? How much of our Christian life is just going through the motions, where we are just, this is what we do, and we got to do it, and we're on to the next thing. We treat prayer or scripture reading as a checklist of, I just got to get it done and I can move on to the next one. And at times, we, maybe it's even, it's just part of the rote memory that we just go through and I'm done. Transaction's over. I can go on with the next thing I have to do. And as I sat in my car, because I'd been thinking about the sermon this week, I just prayed, Lord, I don't want my prayer life, I don't want my spiritual life, my Christian life to be just going through the motions where I, it's just on to the next thing. I want to be present with you in that moment. Not just, you're another part of my day. I just got to get through this. The, the, the girl at the cashier, she, she was great. But I, I knew when she handed that receipt to me that I was just part of the motion she goes through. And that's fine. This happens all the time. But it can't happen with our relationship with the Lord. Where we just go through the motions. We wake up and maybe we read a couple of verses, we pray, and then we forget about it before we even brush our teeth. Or we get into the car. That we should take seriously our walk with Jesus each and every day. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer, Jesus is helping us by giving us a guide that helps us not just go through the motions, but to have a serious, intimate time with our Father 
in heaven. Maybe your prayer life is stale. Anybody ever had a prayer stale life, a stale prayer life? Where it's just, well, there's four of us, that's great to know, okay? Where you're just like, I, I don't even know what to do here. I'm struggling. Maybe there's no meaning behind it. Or have you ever said to yourself, God, why are you so distant? And Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, is helping us see that this prayer is a beautiful thing that we have with our Father. And it's why the Lord's Prayer is the most essential teaching on prayer ever recorded. And why we have to listen to the lesson that Jesus gives us from these verses of Scripture. In his model prayer, Jesus begins by bringing our attention to our Father in heaven. When we see and behold our God above, it will radically change our prayer life into a thriving, joyous time with our Father. Now, I had fully expected to get through all of verse 9 today. The more I spent in verse 9, the more I couldn't get past just the first two words. And I want you, I want in my own life, to behold our Father in heaven more than just someone we go through the motions with. But the one who loved us and sent his Son for us and to behold him on his throne and to enter into prayer without ceasing. Let's read the entirety of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. So we'll recap last week's verses and we'll read the whole text of Scripture. Matthew 6, 5 through 15. It will also be up on the TV screen as well. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Father, open our eyes to behold the wonderful truths from your word. Through the name of your son, Jesus, we approach your throne this morning. And through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, help us to behold your loving, caring, unchanging nature your eternal power, and your never-ending love for your children. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, we walked through verses 5 through 8. Jesus is walking through the, the Lord's Prayer, 
is what's become known as the Lord's Prayer. It's a really a summary of how and how not to pray, which is very helpful for us. And he starts with saying, and he says it three times, when you pray, whenever you pray. It's not an if you pray, it's when you pray. Jesus is assuming that you are praying. And I, I don't know about you, but for me, the last week, couple weeks of looking at this text, I've been thinking about how much I pray. And I've been thinking about, let me just have a quick conversation with the Lord right now as a just praying without ceasing, whether it's building in routines of, hey, I'm going to pray when I, uh, instead of listening to, listening to some music, I'm going to pray um, in the car, or I'm going to pray as I walk my trash can to the, to the street. I'm, I want to spend more time in prayer. I was thinking about it more because especially it's when you pray, not if you pray. And Jesus walks through three different ways we are to pray. Two, the how not to, and one, how to. He tells us, hey, don't pray like the Pharisees the hip, or the hypocrites. They just want to be seen by others. Their whole purpose is to be elevated by man. Don't pray like that. Then he says, pray to your father in secret. Really, it should be, you are praying, go into your your, your prayer closet, find a place where it's just you and God, and pray to your Father who sees in secret. Now, last week I should have mentioned, and I'm going to clarify it today, okay? This is not Jesus saying public prayer is not a thing. When he says, hey, pray in private. He's not eliminating public prayer. We see Jesus prayed publicly, his disciples prayed publicly, the church prayed throughout the New Testament publicly. So he's not saying, hey, if you prayed publicly, you're doing it wrong. That's not what Jesus is saying. But when we pray publicly, it shouldn't be like the hypocrites so others can see us. It shouldn't just be random words that just, we just got to say this. It should be intentional. And when you pray publicly, pray as if it's just you and God and no one else is hearing you. So yeah, praying publicly is okay. Let me just, I should have said that last week. I'm going to say it this week. All right. And then the third thing that Jesus says, don't pray like the Gentiles who just babble words, and they're just rambling on and on. And some of their words, they don't mean anything. Some of their words, they're just saying because it's tradition. You got to say it this way, the right way. And if you say it wrong, God didn't hear it or it cancels out. You have to do it a certain way. And Jesus is saying, don't pray like that. Don't ramble on. Your father in heaven knows what you are praying for before you even pray it. And that last section there, we see that Jesus is not really concerned about our words. He's concerned about our hearts. So often our heart is not in it. It's not wanting to do this, but we just got to do it because it's part of the motions. Jesus is after our heart. Now, yes, Jesus is after our heart and not necessarily our words. But our words very much do matter. You can do something, a good thing, the wrong way. And Jesus is helping us say, hey, your heart is going to be in tune with the Father. It should be all in. Not just half in, all in. It's from my heart. Even when we're not feeling like we need to, it's sitting down and saying, Lord, I, I'm struggling right now. My heart feels distant. I'm wandering. I want to be present with you. But our words absolutely do matter. And I think Jesus knows this. Because he lays out for us what's historically been called the Lord's Prayer. It's actually more of a guide than the Lord's Prayer. 
this was not the only prayer the Lord prayed. He prayed a bunch of other prayers, and they're recorded in Scripture. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before he was crucified, he prays on the cross. He prays all throughout his ministry, and it wasn't just this prayer. But if you look at those prayers, they're in line with the guide, the model that he lays out here for his disciples. And it's a guide for us as well. We can recite the Lord's Prayer, but if we're not careful, then it becomes something we just recite over and over and over again, and it doesn't mean anything. There's also no magic in these words. We don't go through the Lord's Prayer, and God's like, good, you got the code right. Now you can get whatever you want. They're not magic words. It's just a helpful guide that the Lord has given us as we approach our Father in prayer. The disciples, we saw this in Luke last week. Jesus had gone off to pray, or he had prayed, and the disciples hear this, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you know this is the only time the disciples, recorded in Scripture for us, only time recorded in Scripture, where it says the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. Think about all the things the disciples could have asked for, and maybe they did, but what we see, and I think that's intentional, the disciples could have said, hey, can you teach us how to draw a crowd like you do? They didn't do that. Jesus would be like, no, it's not about that, all right? He could have said, they could have asked, can you help us teach us how to do the, the miracles? Could you, could you teach us how to be humble? Could you teach us how to not sin? Because you're really good at that, Jesus. Could you, help, could you help? They could have asked a whole bunch of other, can you teach us how to do this? And they asked, can you teach us to pray? Like you pray? And they can ask this question because really only Jesus is qualified to teach someone how to pray. Because he is the only one that is fully God and fully man. He understands that relationship with the Father and the relationship with mankind. And he is the one interceding for us, praying on our behalf to the Father. And the disciples say, can you teach us how to pray? couple of quotes here. We don't have to include these exact words or rigidly follow this structure in every prayer. Yet every Christian prayer ought to be informed and shaped by the Lord's Prayer. It is a good guide for us. Another author said, it should therefore be highly esteemed by all Christians. If we're struggling how to pray or what to pray, the Lord in His grace is saying, here, start here. You start here and pray from this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. This is a good guide that God has given his children. The Lord's Prayer has six petitions. We just walked through them. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done is number three. Those are the first three. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. These are the six petitions laid out here in Matthew chapter 6. Now, throughout history, they've been divided in this way, in a summary. The first three are focused on the glory of God, God's glory. And the second set of three are our good. So often we switch the two around, do we not? Or we just skip the first part. 
and we go right to, God, I need this. Let me just cut to the chase. I need this. But Jesus' guide helps us see the proper order in which we are to see prayer. That's really, it's not about us. It's about the one who created all things, reigns eternally, and sits on the throne in heaven. This is why Jesus begins with the phrase, our Father in heaven. In Jesus' language that he spoke, or the, at least the, the, what the New Testament was written in Greek, the very first word of the Lord's Prayer is Father. So when Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer, it's Father. And the way it, it, it's written out is, it's Father of us who is in the heavens. So English, grammatically, it's a little, it's a little choppy. So we have translated it, and it's fine, all right, to say our Father. But the very first word that Jesus speaks when he says, here's the model prayer, Father. Because Jesus understands that prayer must always begin with the Father. Now, it's okay that our English translation says our Father. That's just helping us grammatically read through this, okay? But Jesus begins with the Father. He begins right there. Every prayer, Jesus says, begins here. He's mentioning a prayer or a father is very significant. Jesus is very intentional with the words that he uses. And he uses this word father for his listeners, his disciples, and the crowd gathering at the mount. We have to understand how they would have heard it. This is how we understand the context of Scripture. For the Jewish people, this is not a term, father, that was used to describe the God of heaven. In fact, 15 times in the entire Old Testament do we see the word Father in the sense of God or as a spiritual father, 15 times. In the New Testament, it's used 245 times. So for Jesus to use the word Father here for the people listening, he is showing there is a different approach that we are going to go about in prayer than what has been seen before. What's occasionally mentioned in the Old Testament, Testament is central throughout the New Testament. God is our Father. The Jewish people would not refer to God this way. It was too casual, too, too intimate. It's how they would even approach it. The God of the universe, they would say, is not ca- to be casually addressed. Said the people who also wouldn't even write his name down because they took it so seriously. But Jesus shows us this intimate relationship that we can have with God. He could have used any other word to describe God in this prayer. He could have said God. God who art in heaven. And he wouldn't have been wrong, right? He could have said creator of the universe in heaven. He could have chosen Yahweh. He could have chosen any other good word, but he chose purposefully to start with Father, to help us see the beautiful relationship that we have as his children through Christ with him. But before we call God Father in prayer, I believe it's necessary to see why and how calling the holy God, creator of the universe of all things, calling him Father is even possible in the first place. The doctrine of adoption throughout Scripture, 
is a beautiful reality for those of us who are Christians. I believe when understood, it will lead our hearts to joy in Christ and transform our prayer life. Jesus intentionally starts here. Father. The word adoption is used five times in the New Testament. We'll look at all the verses that it's used in today. It means the same thing as we know it. It's the gracious act of bringing someone into your family and giving them the same privileges as the other sons and daughters. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is very similar to the one that we read earlier, it says adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into God's family and have a right to all the privileges as the sons and daughters of God. And this beautiful picture laid out in Scripture for us should stir our hearts with a deep affection for God. That He is not distant. That He is not ignoring us. That He is not aloof. But He is present, caring and loving for His children. So as we focus on our Father, a couple things I want us to understand. We have been brought into God's family and made God's children. We've been brought into God's family and made God's children. This is taught throughout Scripture. Now, if we have been brought into God's family and we have been made God's children, then at some point, we were not God's children. Right? If we understand this, the way Scripture teaches it, at some point, we are God's children, but at one point, we were not. Scripture talks about that we, at one point, before Jesus changed our lives, were enemies to God. We looked at this verse in life groups last week. Teenagers are going to do it tonight. 1 Peter 2. Once you were not a people, once, past tense, not a people. That doesn't sound like, hey, you're children of God. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We were brought into God's family and made his children. Romans 5.10 For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. I want to leave that, that Romans 5.10 up there for a little bit. You see the word at the top, enemies. Let's put that in contrast to the word sons. Here when I say the sons of God, all right, we are the sons of God, sons and daughters, okay? We're the children of God, but enemies and son. Let's put those two words next to each other and see the polar opposites of those two words. God doesn't use the illustration throughout Scripture sons and nephews, or sons and cousins, or, or different words that are close but not close. He uses sons and enemies. Do you see the polar opposite of those two words? We were once enemies to God. And now, because of what Jesus has done, reconciling us with the Father, He has made us His sons. This is striking language in Scripture. Enemies, 
to God. But because of Jesus, we are now sons and daughters of God. As Colossians 1.21 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, describes who we were before Jesus. Hostile is just a note. We were against God. This is enemy language here. I don't walk up to Colton and say, we're hostiles. We're enemies. No, Colton is my son. I treat him as my son. He is not my enemy. But listen, I got some enemies. I don't know who they are. I'm sure I've got one, right? Or two. I'm not going to, my sinful flesh is not going to treat them like I treat Colton. My sinful flesh says, I want to obliterate you, okay? And we are all thinking this way, right? It's just not me, all right? The Lord is working on all of us. Do you see the difference here? God didn't just say, oh, you're just, come on in. You're fine. We were enemies, are you bringing your enemy into your house and saying, hey, everything, else, everything in here is yours? Like, we're going to put some pause on that for a second, right? We're probably going to put some conditions on it. Hey, until you prove yourself to be my son, then you, you don't have access to this half of the house. It's also where we keep all our valuables, because we don't trust you, right? This is not the language of adoption that God uses uses. We were once his enemies, now we are his children. And he has given us full privileges as if, what we'll see in just a moment, we are heirs with Christ Jesus. So what is Jesus's is ours. It's a beautiful relationship that we see throughout Scripture. Now, I think there's a question that we need to ask and answer quickly. Because people will ask the question, and some of you have asked the question. Or have made the statement in error. I'll just say it that way, okay? Are we not all God's children? Have you heard this before? Everybody is God's children. All right, so let's get to this quickly. Yes and no. All right, here's what I mean. Yes, it is true that God, in a sense, is the father of all. Because God is the creator of all things. Okay? We just read about this in our catechism. So everything comes from God. Because everyone owes their existence to God. We are made in the image of God. But, the language throughout Scripture, when we see the relationship between children and father and God as father, that relationship is only for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. 1 John, uh, John 1, 9-13 says, the true light, which gets, gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is just a few verses to summarize what Scripture is saying. Not everyone is a child of God. Only those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus are God's children. And just so we're clear here, 
God's also not our mother, okay? The more you, this world just gets crazier and crazier, the more theology says God is also our mother. God uses motherly terms to describe his care. But God has never described himself as a mother. He's described himself as father, and that's important to understand. But it's not our natural human birthright to call God father. It is our born-again spiritual birthright. It's really a remarkable thing. When you have a bunch of kids in the same room, they all kind of sound alike, okay? But if your kid says daddy or mama, you can distinguish it, right? You're like, which kid was that? That was one of mine. These other kids can say it, and it doesn't mean anything because they don't belong to you. They can't call you father or daddy. But my kids can. And when I hear them say it, I know it because they belong to me. This is our view of what Scripture says about God's children, that we belong to the Father through Jesus Christ. What's really remarkable is we were enemies to God, right? I mean, we can camp out there and just talk about the language there that God uses. And yet, God's plan before the foundation of the world was to adopt us as sons and daughters. Even though he would know that we were his enemies, he would adopt us into his family. That, that, let me use a grandpa word here, okay? That boggles my mind, all right? Like, I don't understand this from a human perspective. And that helps me see and behold the loving nature of our God. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This plan laid out by God the Father was to adopt us into his family. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. There's a lot to unpack here, but I want you to pick up on what God is doing through adoption. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Out of the good and glorious, gracious heart of God, He adopted us through Jesus. He did not have to do this. He could have left us in our sin. We, we didn't deserve to be adopted. And yet he chose to adopt us and bring us into his family. It was all because of Jesus. We wouldn't bring our enemies into our house. Or maybe we would work through it. Maybe we would put some conditions on it. But our father said, here's the plan. When the world is in sin and dead in their sins, I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And through his death and resurrection, I'm going to make a way for sinners, for enemies, to come into my family. Because I'm going to adopt them. 
And I'm not going to give them conditions. I'm going to give them all the blessings that Jesus has. That is our Father in Heaven. And our adoption as sons and daughters is only possible because the Father sent His Son. John 3.16, our verse for the month, that we're going to memorize. Because here's what I understand. A lot of us, we have this verse memorized. Maybe in a different translation than the ESV. Mine's got a mix of King James, ESV. It's just a kind of a hodgepodge of the translations, right? But I know some of you don't have it translated. But maybe the most remarkable verse in all of Scripture shows us what God the Father has done for us through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Our adoption into God's family is only possible because of Jesus. Only possible. We didn't get to walk up to the door and knock and say, can I come in and be a part of this family? No. God brought us into His family. Probably been a long time since you've read this book. But the book, Are You My Mother? You guys remember this little kid's book? No? I mean, well, I could read it. It's, it's a great little book. All right? I read it this past week, and you know, as I mentioned last week, I for sure added it to my tally for the year, okay? And my reading list. The whole book is there's this little bird. We find this mother sitting on this egg, and she realizes the baby bird is about to be born. So she goes and gets food to prepare. While she's away, the baby is born. There is no mother there. So the baby bird goes on a look for his mother. Baby bird looks at cats and dogs and cars and planes and all sorts of things and asks the question at each time, are you my mother? In which all of them are like, I'm a cat. I'm not your mother. Or, or they don't respond because they're an airplane. Eventually, he ends up back in the nest and the the mother bird lands, and the, the mother bird says, do you know who I am? And the baby bird says, you are my mother. Now, this is a sweet story that oftentimes we think is how we got to God. That we just went around asking, saying, are you God, are you God, are you God? But this is not what Scripture says. Scripture says that we were not seeking after God. Here's what... Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, quoting Isaiah and the Psalms, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. No one seeks God because we're his enemies. So what did God do? Here's what Jesus says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and chased after his enemies to bring them into the family of God. We are not a part of God's family without Jesus. It is the initiating love of the Father through the giving of his Son that makes our adoption into his family possible. God initiated this relationship. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 1 John 3, 1 through 2. See, other translations say, Behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. I love how this text of Scripture begins in verse 1. Behold, the love of the Father. See, look at God's love for you. Behold it. Don't go through the motions. Our God in heaven loves you right now. And because of Jesus, you are his child right now. Right now. And that right now is a permanent now. God didn't wake up today and say, you know what, today, not my child. You've annoyed me enough, go to your room. That's not how God responds to children. We are his children now. Right now. Do you see how much Jesus loves you? How much our Father loves you? No matter what you are facing in this life. And listen, it is, everybody has got something different going on. We could spend the next five hours ordering some pizza and just talk about our problems. And God knows every single one of them because he is our father in heaven. He is not distant. He is near. He is present with us. He loves us. It is the initiating love of God through Jesus that gives us access to our father. And as God's children through Jesus, we have access in prayer to our Father in Heaven. Because He is not just a God. He's not just the universe, the creator of the universe. He is our Father in Heaven. And because He is our Father, we don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a pope. We don't have to go through a pastor. We don't have to go through anybody else who's maybe more spiritual than the rest of us. We have direct access to our Father who sits on the throne right now because of Jesus. Meaning, when we pray, not if, when we pray, it begins with the Father because it all starts with Him in the first place. And we understand that I'm walking into someone the presence of someone who loves me, gave his son for me, and has made me his own. My parents live right around the corner from here. And when we pull up, the kids are usually out of the car and in the house before I've even turned the car off, right? Going in to see grandma and grandpa. Now, they do not knock. They just barge on in. Or they know how to get in, and they just go on in. They don't, they don't feel the need to ask for permission. They do this at they're me, mom, and papas, too, all right? Maybe there's a slight knot, but I think they're barging in. They, they don't have to ask for permission to come in. 
It's only possible for Colton and Merritt to go into my father's house, my parents' house, because I am my dad's son. And because of that, they can go right on in. And here's the crazy part. I get a lot of benefits to being their son. But they get a lot of those same benefits too, do they not? I mean, they get equal access to the pantry when they walk in there, or the fridge. But they can go in there and just make themselves at home, have fun, enjoy it, because they belong to me. And because they belong to me and I belong to the Father, my house is their house, their house is their house. This is what Jesus has done for us, giving us access to the Father. We couldn't get there without him. We are not God's stepchildren. We are God's children. Fellow heirs with Jesus. And God delights. Our Father in heaven delights when we come into his presence. As Ephesians 2 says, for through him, through Jesus, we have both access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Or Galatians 4, 6, 6 through 7, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a son, but a, a, no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Everything that Jesus has is ours because of what Jesus has done for us. This is the beautiful relationship that we have with the creator of the universe. He doesn't just look at us as creation. He looks at us as children. So Jesus says when you pray, begin here. Our Father in heaven. We didn't even get to the in heaven part. You're going to leave here with a blank on your notes, okay? But he says, our Father, or how he would have said it, Father to us. He is bringing us into this relationship that he has with his Father. He doesn't say, when you pray to my Father, pray this, our Father. Because Jesus has brought us into the family of God. There's also something really significant in the Lord's Prayer that we're going to see over the next, I don't know, maybe a couple months, because it's just so wonderful is that there are no first-person singular pronouns in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, forgive us, lead us. It doesn't say me, it doesn't say I. There's a community aspect to the Lord's Prayer. Because of Jesus, and because Jesus has saved us, that means if, we, if I'm a son of God and you're a son of God, what does that make us? We are brothers in Christ Jesus. We are in this together, praying to our Father in heaven. I want to close out by focusing on that. So often we come together as a church, 
We sing together. I love singing together. We sang, I think, maybe a top five favorite song for me today. Before the throne of God above. We, we, we read scripture together. We respond to the reading of God's word together. We're looking at God's word together. I've been convicted a lot over the last couple months, and we've done this before, that we don't pray enough together. Our Father. My Father, your Father. You don't have to come to me in order for your prayers to be heard, which is good. Because I am not your mediator. I am not your Savior, Jesus says. You can go right to your Father. But your Father is my Father, through Christ Jesus. And I think throughout the New Testament, we see the local church coming together and praying together more often than we probably do. Oftentimes, prayers are served as a transition. I mean, the, the band has to get off the stage at some point, right? And that's fine. But prayer shouldn't just be going through the motions. Prayer should be intentional, intimate relationship that we have with God and with one another. Because God doesn't hear my prayers more than he hears yours. You're, I'm not more of a child of God than you are. No, through Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ to our Father, who we'll see next week is in heaven. So here's how I want to end today. And our prayer point on the program is going to be similar because to the next couple weeks. But I want us to gather around in groups, as we've done before, and pray to our Father. Now, yes, this can be awkward, okay? You might be sitting around like, man, I wish I'd have known this or I wouldn't have sat next to this person, okay? If that's the case, talk to me afterwards. We'll see how we can work through that relationship, all right? Or maybe the Lord's like, I knew we were doing this, and I put you in that seat for a purpose because you need to reconcile with your brother, all right? I don't know. That's between you guys during prayer. Yes, it can be awkward. And yes, we're kind of, maybe some of us are just stumbling through praying. Remember, God knows our prayers before we pray them. We have equal access to the Father because of Jesus. We should encourage one another in prayer. But did you know? The most valuable method of learning how to pray is by listening to others pray. Is that not what the disciples did? They heard someone pray and say, I want to pray like that. But how can we know if we never hear anybody pray? To our Father in heaven. So, here's how we're going to close it. There's a prayer point on the screen. It's on your program as well. There's a lot in there that we'll cover over the next couple of weeks. But maybe it's just praying together as a group around you. Feel free to move your chairs, move around, and just say, Thank you, God. Father, thank you for making us your, fam your children through Jesus Christ. And to live as children to the Father that loves us and cares for us and gave his son for us. We'll pray for a few moments. I'll come up and pray, and then we'll sing one final song as we close out our time together this morning.